we're a religion of doing. And so if we create policies around equity and give the tools for how to be anti-racist in your community or how to hire an executive director, then by doing that, you will learn what's racist behavior and what's not. I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman, and I'm so happy to welcome you to the fourth season of Hashi Venu, a podcast about Jewish teachings on resilience. We've had a little bit of a hiatus. Um, we've missed folks. Uh, we're so happy to be with you again today. And I am especially thrilled to introduce a co-host for this season. We are going to focus in on Judaism and resilience and racial justice uh, as the focus for our conversations this season. And I have invited, and she has so graciously accepted, Rabbi Sandra Lawson, who is the inaugural Director of Racial Diversity, Equity and Inclusion for Reconstructing Judaism um, to serve as co-host. So Sandra, welcome, welcome. Thank you, I'm really excited to be here and I'm really looking forward to this, this season of Hashibenu. Me too. I think it's going to be um, rich and I hope brave and, uh, and, and, and I hope transformative. We thought to kick off the, the season, we would just have a conversation with Sandra and me mm -hmm. to kind of talk about some of our aspirations and some of the things that we're thinking about when we think about these topics separately and when we think about these topics together. And mm -hmm. then in the future that we look forward to welcoming other, um, other voices mm -hmm. in as guests in the conversation. So... Can we start there? Like, when, Sandra, when you think about Jewish approaches on resilience and racial racial justice, what what rises up for you? How do you what are you thinking about? You know, that's a really good question. And um, right now, we are in the uh, the book and the Torah that it's for me is all about resilience. And and when I think about our ancestors who left Mitzrayim, the the narrow place, the place of pain. Um, and made their way to the sea, crossed the sea, led by Miriam and song. And then we get to uh, Mount Sinai and we receive revelation um, and, then, and then we receive laws. And it's really interesting because we go from slavery and then the, the, another set of laws right behind that are when you get a Hebrew slave. And I'm not going to comment on that, but when I think about uh, um, all the struggles of people, especially marginalized people in our society, uh, I lean heavily on the book of Exodus. Um, and I also know our Christian brothers and sisters do because our Black Christians and bro brothers and sisters do um, when it comes to liberation theology. And um, it is a book of resilience and pain and the struggles of, of a people, of creating a society. And so that's, uh, that's kind of what comes to mind when you ask so, that question. So yeah. beautiful. I, uh, I gave my inauguration talk back in 2014 mm -hmm. on, on, on redemption. Oh, that's right. Uh, and, yeah. and because I just, I think it's, it, it, you know, it's mm -hmm. so incredibly powerful mm -hmm. that, embedded into the Jewish liturgy is that twice a day we're praying for redemption and we yes. like remember that moment in history so that we can create it in the present mm -hmm. and you know and we, we build the entire holiday of Passover around it and I think that's such a powerful mm -hmm. 
framing both, you know, both hard, like looking at what is so hard and also what could be hopeful about it. I also want to say too, that like, you know, we brought up Passover and I, you know, like we are, we are, um, I often find, you know, uh, even I struggled with Hebrew in, in rabbinical school that, um, often Hebrew comes much more naturally to me when I'm trying to explain things. And so the sort of that like, you know, remember that we were slaves and, um, and, you know, we were commanded to remember that during Passover. And we are uh, told to reenact that what we read in the, 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 the Haggadah, the book, um, as if we were present at that time. Mm-hmm. And what I think is interesting is that I think we, we do that as, as Jews very well, but what I think has gotten lost is um, sort of, you know, the compassion piece. I started a, my own version of a midot practice, my own sort of practice of looking at, you know, our ethics and ways of being. And I'm reading this book that has daily practices. And last yesterday was compassion. And one of the things that uh, uh, that the author says is that in order to have compassion, um, he brings the example of Moses when Moses left his palace and he saw what was happening with the Israelite. And, you know, um, then uh, he didn't like the fact that Israelite was being beaten and came to, and, and then basically killed the, the uh, Egyptian soldier. But Moses had compassion for his brother and he had compassion because he witnessed the lived experience of the Israelites. And so I think that for many Jews, um, compassion today is lost because many Jews who have white privilege don't actually go out and have relationships with people of color, don't actually go out and witness and understand the lived experiences of marginalized people. And if you don't do that, it's really hard for, right. um, for you to do this work you know, around social justice and equity. I think that that's such an important question about like if, 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 the, if the Haggadah commands us mm-hmm. to tell the story as if we were slaves, you know, mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. present tense, you know, obviously what that's trying to do is to cultivate empathy. Right. Um, and, you know, it's really hard to have empathy when you're shut down. It's really yeah. hard to have empathy when you're closed off. It's really hard to have mm-hmm. empathy when you're not willing to look. Yeah. And, and so, so that's that. So obviously the act of storytelling mm-hmm. is one way to cultivate empathy. And as you're suggesting, the act of being in relationship, mm-hmm. the act of witnessing is another way to, to cultivate empathy. I think it's really, really essential. Um, and I think the thing is, one of the things that I so value, I, I mean, there's a lot of that I wanna you know, tease out from what you were mm-hmm. talking about. One of the things that I most value about Judaism, I, we're, we're gonna release this before Passover, I know even, even though Passover is early this year, but mm-hmm. you know, like the four questions that, that, mm-hmm. that, that are embedded in the, in, the, in the Passover Seder, like the Judaism is, oriented toward questions mm-hmm. more than answers and that reconstructionism sees evolution, the evolution of the Jewish civilization and the Jewish people as such an essential um, way of understanding what we're doing. So it's, at the end of the day, for me, it's about transformation. It mm-hmm. is like, like that I am in the world not to be affirmed with what I know, but to be cracked open and changed by mm-hmm. what my encounters with other people, Jews and non-Jews people who are like me and people who are really different from me are. And so, and that's, um, that's hard. Some, like that, that, that means mm-hmm. I have to get off the, off the couch and that means I have to go out of my comfort zone. But I feel like that's one of the reasons why I remain engaged in Judaism is because mm-hmm. that's what it pushes me to do. Yeah. 
We were, you know, we are a tradition of doing, you know, we're supposed to do like even in, in uh, the Torah portion Mishpatim, it's like, you know, we um, do and then we understand, you know, we get these, you know, we receive them and we have to do them first. And some people were like, you know, why shouldn't it be the other way, (laughs) the way around? And, um, you know, and that may be true for some things, but to really understand Judaism, Judaism is about experiences and experiencing Judaism, all the awesomeness of Judaism, whether it's food, ritual, or whatever. And then you can, once you do those things, and then you can understand them, but you can yeah. understand them individually because also, um, and this is the Torah portion this week, um, you know, because la- last week, God basically says that God speaks to each and every person as an individual, um, and, and, and ways that that person can understand. And so we have these experiences as a group. We may do these things together, but we interpret them um, as individuals because we all have our own sort of individual relationship with God and we can all hear our, the divine voice of God in ways that we can understand. I love that. Cause I feel like that's like, that's the essential challenge of modernity or an mm-hmm. essential challenge of modernity is like, that, that tension between individual and collective. In the pre-modern times, Jews understood ourselves as a collective people. And like, and yeah. that's why so much of our liturgy is all in the we mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and and in, his, in, in so much of the Torah, especially like at this point, at, at Mishpatim, at this mm-hmm. chapter, at this parsha you were just talking about, the shift is from these individual stories right. of, of the patriarchs and the matriarchs and Moses and it goes into the children of Israel, the people yeah. of Israel, however you translate B'nai Israel. And since modern times, we understand ourselves much more as individuals and that tension, that mm-hmm. back and forth between individual and community and individual and community. And but another reason why I, I really remain deeply rooted in Judaism is because of that collective sensibility, mm-hmm. like that I have a real mistrust of radical individualism. I, I want my, you know, like I certainly as a woman and mm-hmm. as a lesbian, mm-hmm. like, like, like my world is so much bigger and freer and I'm able to offer up because of individual rights but at the end of the day I also want limits on them and I want Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want some part of the collective that a holds me accountable and b pushes me to subordinate my own individual Mm -hmm. interests to something larger and I feel like that's that's always been true for me like what 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 the part of the appeal of Judaism and then to think about it with it with you know trying to really undo the effects of of a majority culture that is so oppressive mm-hmm. to, to minorities. And certainly that Jews have experienced that for anti-Semitism, but that's not, that. and I think that is both interrelated and completely distinct from, you know, from the racism mm-hmm. that is embedded into American society. So but in our, in our society is built on this idea of individualism as part of like the, you know, Protestantism. Um, and so much so that it's really hard for people, for many people, I think, to understand and see systemic racism because you are individually responsible, but but leaving out the fact that an entire system is designed to privilege one group of people over another group of people. Um, and that even the definition of racism for the longest time, maybe even still for many today, is about individual prejudice or individual bias and not, not a, a system. Um, and then like, you know, you know, having collective, you know, responsibility um, is also something that we learned in this week's, in, in, in the book of Exodus, in this week's tour portion, because these laws that show up, starting with when you have a Hebrew slave, are supposed to be to help us collectively have a better society. So we're compassionate and have mercy and fairness and justice. 
Well, I think that's exactly like one mm-hmm. of the major point I always make about Exodus is, is um, the Israelites were not freed from slavery yeah. Yeah. to go and have a good time. It was, it was not like, I think about this, especially in the context of American society and what the philosopher Isaiah Berlin talks about is like negative liberty and positive liberty. And so freedom from versus freedom to, and they were not free to go and have a good time and to do whatever they wanted. They, as you said, they marched directly mm-hmm. from the, the sea to the, to Sinai mm-hmm. to, they were freed to enter into service and mm-hmm. covenantal relationship with yud heh vav mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. with the divine. So I think about when, when I think about what that means for us in our day and as their heirs, mm-hmm. I am most interested in the freedom from, like the mm-hmm. freedom from hunger, the freedom from oppression, the freedom yeah. Yeah. from homelessness, you know, food, mm-hmm. food, housing insecurity and the freedom to it is secondary compared to mm-hmm, all those, mm-hmm, like the, mm-hmm. to, to making certain that everybody or as many people as possible have the freedom from. That totally informs how I think about those people who are saying, I don't want to wear a mask in the middle of a pandemic, or those people who are saying, I want to carry a gun. Like those are freedoms too that, mm-hmm. if, that actually infringe on me and on mm-hmm. other collectives. And the freedom from is, is what we should be prioritizing. And on that note, I actually had a conversation with a classmate of mine who's now a rabbi, a wonderful rabbi. And we were talking about this, this um, people who don't want to wear a mask. And it's not, a, I don't, we both don't think that it's about them caring about themselves. They just really don't care about other people. And it goes back to our conversation about yeah. empathy. Yeah. yeah. Right. If we are all interconnected, if everything mm-hmm. is all interdependent, then, then, you know, and the air that I breathe and the air that you breathe is exchanged. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, you're, it's right. It's a, it's the paradigm just doesn't work. It, yeah. right. It's totally flawed. Part of what I think is always the moments I often focus in on in the Exodus story are the moments of the unknown, mm-hmm. um, the moments of like deep emunah, deep faithfulness, deep belief. And we see like at the beginning of mm-hmm. Exodus, like Moses is like, not me. I'm mm-hmm. not the right person. I don't have right, the skills, right. you know, yeah. like, like, like it, it took a while for him to build and he needed, and he needed, he couldn't mm-hmm. do it by himself. He needed Aaron uh, mm-hmm. for the confrontations with Pharaoh. And then he needed Miriam once they, mm-hmm. so I, but that moment and Ruth Stone has a beautiful poem. We can post it in the, in the, in the show notes about like what it's like to like step into the sea. Like, you know, we have mm-hmm. the Midrash about like the Israelites not really being willing to step mm-hmm. into the sea. And it was like, it was, uh, you know, a couple of uh, brave souls who, mm-hmm. who jumped in and only then did the sea start to split. Like, you know, we're telling the Exodus story retrospectively. Mm-hmm. We know it has a quote unquote good ending. They didn't, like when they were living it out, you know, whether or not they were real people or it's mm-hmm. just a mythical story, like, we, like they don't know what's coming next. They're in that moment of uncertainty. And so I just, I want to, I think that that's, part of a resilience mm-hmm, framework mm-hmm. is, you know, acting even when you don't know, like yeah. take, being brave, being, mm-hmm. taking the leap. Yeah. Or, you know, or taking the struggle of, you know, not being successful or taking the struggle of failure even and picking yourself up or, you know, things didn't go right. And but what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do going forward to try to make the world better for myself and for my family or for all, for all of us? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and it's getting up the next the next day and doing it all over again if necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the Geulah, the redemption paradigm, mm-hmm. is so incredibly important in this work. And I want to pivot us to another another mm-hmm. I think paradigm, another another uh, really re- metaphor, the deeply mined in the Jewish tradition that I think is really essential to this work, which is tshuva, the mm-hmm. idea of re- of repentance. 
And, uh, and that's something, you know, obviously we talk about a lot at the high holiday season, but there's a prayer for Chuva every single day if you follow the liturgy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's not a one-off and it's not confined to mm-hmm. one season. I, ideally, it's kind of, um, there's a midrash that suggests that the very, what, before creation happened, God created, before the creation of the universe happened, God created Chuva. Like it's embedded mm-hmm. into the very fabric mm-hmm. of the universe. So, I like that. Um, yeah, yeah. What's yeah. so... I like that. It's so hopeful. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, we were talking about stories earlier. So um, I had a conversation with a, with a colleague who is a um, white Jewish woman and not, not a rabbi, but a leader in the Jewish community. And she is on, they started a new racial, just racial equity group or justice group. And she was just checking in with me because I hope I'm getting this right. People on her committee um, didn't want to reach out to people of color in the synagogue um, for this this uh, group because they didn't want to tokenize. And she's like, that doesn't sound right. So she's like, I'm just checking it. I, you know, you, you don't want to answer. I said, I said, you need to reach out um, to the community. But what we talked about was uh, Teshuvah and Tochacha. We talked about that, you know, that, Whoever is running this group should reach out to individuals, you know, sort of organizing strategy, do one-on-one, and then explain that we messed up, we didn't think this through, and, you know, my own understanding of racism or my own internalized racism interfered and made me frozen to ask you for help because I didn't want to give you that option. Um, and I was telling my colleague that that's hard. It's easier to just say, well, we don't want to talk to them. And it's harder to do that internal work, but you need to own it. And you, when you reach out and you need to be honest about why you made the choices and then you can at, make the ask. And then of course they have the right to say no, but I'm just, so, just sort of thinking about that when you, you said that, that we, you know, in order to, to seek forgiveness, we have to go to the people that we've harmed and um, are hurt and and do our best to try to make it right. Yeah, it goes back and then there's that relationship piece mm-hmm. again, that this stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. Right. On a related point, a, a huge piece of learning for me was discerning that it's different work mm-hmm. helping white Jews come to terms with white privilege and even more, you know, white privilege and sometimes, you know, enacting racist behavior, than it is uh, centering and, 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 and adequate, appropriately valuing the experiences and the well-being mm-hmm. of, of Jews of color. And that mm-hmm. those, are, those are intertwined mm-hmm. and part of our work. And they are, they're overlapping, but they're not identical. And so, uh, and, 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 and one of the things that, and I learned it because, in a in a project that you and I were working on together with a whole bunch of other people, we were inadvertently privileging the anxieties of white Jews mm-hmm, over mm-hmm. the aspirations of black yeah. Jews. Yeah. And and that was like that was like, oh, got that mm-hmm. totally wrong. And what, what to, to be able to say in a convening of about 18, 20 people, yep, that's this mm-hmm. is wrong. Like this is wrong. And then the commitment, you know, is to take every step we possibly can, not only to not do it again, but to lean into both things, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I think the thing about chuva, I think there are two things that are so important to me 
One is just that possibility of trying again, mm-hmm. that encouragement toward that, that mandate even toward it. Yeah. But the other is also the justice piece of it. Like even when someone has done wholehearted shuva, that doesn't mean things go back to, that doesn't mean right. that there's not accountability and that things go right. back to the way they right. were. Like that, that shuva is absolutely necessary, but it's not erasure. It's actually an impetus toward change. Mm-hmm. And it's, but it's also hard when, um, our society by design was designed to separate black people from white people, pe- white people from people of color, especially white people from, from black people. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to have any empathy if you don't even understand the experiences of another person. It's, you know, it's easier for white people to have, ex- to have empathy for other white people. And enough studies have shown that white people just don't have the same for people of color. Um, are particularly black people because of her, how our society was designed from the very beginning. And so if you don't have empathy, it's even harder to do teshuva if you don't, and if you don't have compassion, if you don't understand um, why someone may be hurt by what you said or what you did. And that's, that's a growing edge that many in our community need to, to have. We need to lean into those relationships or develop relationships so that people can have empathy and so they can understand, you know, why someone is in pain. So like one example, so I'm making sense here is if I tell you that what you said is racist, if I tell you that I had a a racist experience, many white people will say, well, you sure that was racist? I didn't mean it. Right. Right. And so, you know, um, and and that doesn't help. That doesn't help. And so, um, you know, in order to do teshuva, to in order to to make amends, you have to try to lean into an understanding mm-hmm. of what the other person's experience, instead of saying that that experience didn't happen. I think that's so right. And I think that mm-hmm. for me, a really a very helpful tool that I learned a long time, you know, a while ago in, in anti-racism training is like understanding the difference between intention and impact. Yeah. And like, right. you know, what, whatever I meant, whatever I meant, mm-hmm. if you're telling me that the impact was that really hurt or that mm-hmm. really reinforced, or that's, even if it didn't hurt, it's, this is how mm-hmm. it's landing, you know, that, that to have to take that incredibly seriously mm-hmm. and again, to prioritize the relationship. Okay. So what's the repair that you mm-hmm. and I need to do because I've behaved in this way. And then I think, you know, it's on me to think, so, that, so, so now like, well, so wh- how did I get to that mm-hmm. place? And, and, and what am I gonna do to make certain I, I, I leave this place? So. Uh, and I'll get, you know, one thing, I'll give you a really cool example. When, you know, during that, that bygone era when President Obama was the president, um, you know, many white people proclaim racism is over because, you know, we Post have a racial president. Yeah. The, the thing is, is that white people don't have the right in our society to say that racism is over. And that the, the, the gall, the, the, the you know, but that sort of like, you know, that, that you can just say that and believe it to be true um, without checking in with the people who actually suffer from that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Ego, like, both, maybe that's right. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, that's what I was saying. I think it's both like, it's both, um, it's, it's like some intersection of aspiration and arrogance. You know, mm-hmm. like you definitely wanted, yeah. Yeah. You definitely wanted to be true. Like for the mm-hmm. best possible reasons, and because boy, is it more convenient if it's yeah. true. Like we're never mm-hmm. gonna, we, we haven't gone through a racial reckoning. We oh, haven't dismantled yeah. all the ways that this is internalized. But look, there's there's a you know there's a black president. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think yeah, I think uh, hopefully that's one of the learnings from, yeah. from it. Um, and, and boy, what a hard way to learn. 
um, I think that, that, that I think this is probably where we should wind down, but like with a conversation, and this is maybe, I think this is a conversation for white, white Jews, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is, is, is it like about a stance of humility, about anava and a stance mm-hmm. of humility, like um, mm-hmm. so, so much to learn, so much to undo. Uh, mistakes will happen because we're in a majority culture that's setting us up to make those mistakes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and taking responsibility, prioritizing relationships and committing to to learning from them. I think that's a really important path forward. And also to to acknowledge that many in our society, um, our large American society, are fearful of, I don't remember the date, 2035, when supposedly, you know, the white people will be the minority. They'll still be the largest (laughs) people, but, you know, that the the people are afraid, white people are afraid of, 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 uh, the dominant or having more minorities, racial minorities and white people feeling like, um, they're disappearing or that, um, they'll be the minority. And many in the, the uh, Jewish community are afraid of diversity. They, they're afraid of the diversity, the, the diversity in our Jewish community, and seeing more Black and Brown and queer people in our in, in our Jewish spaces makes them feel like their traditions are being lost. But the traditions aren't being lost. It's just that they're just not the majority anymore. And the fact of the matter is, one of the things that I think are you know, that, uh, that our study as Reconstructionist mm-hmm. rabbis that we learned when we were in rabbinical school is like, there's a huge breadth of diversity across the Jewish people and yeah. across the Jewish experience. And so mm-hmm. it's about displaying that and embracing that rather than privileging like mm-hmm. either one particular expression. I mean, I think there is a space for like, you know, small subsets who want to nurture it, but for that mm-hmm. to be the only expression as, you know, like, so if you want to nurture, you know, like, Iraqi melodies or something, and, and mm-hmm. so like, but 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 that, but to acknowledge that it's um, and to embrace even mm-hmm. that there mm-hmm. are um, a lot of different expressions. We we are recording this in early February, right near um, the Chinese New Year, and mm-hmm. uh, one of uh, a student of color who is who who is uh, identifies as as Asian American led a beautiful service integrating in different Chinese poems. That's and great. melodies inspired. I mean, like, like, and, and it was just so, it was such That's a rich great. tapestry, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and said there are not that many Asian Jews composing, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. it's a small, it's a small subset that she had to draw from. And some of them were pieces of her own composition. Wow. So, yeah. You That's know, great. Like, and, yeah. It was thrilling. It was See, thrilling. I find that exciting. You find that exciting. And sadly, there are other people who don't, they're very, they're right. terrified by that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think, I mean, I, where, where I want to wind us down is to invite mm-hmm. you to actually talk about your vision and what you're hoping to accomplish in, in your new position. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, first and foremost, our work is with folks who are certainly to work with the folks who are thrilled and to work with the folks who are curious mm-hmm. and the work with the folks who are anxious, mm-hmm. but willing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like, you know, to really kind of move them along as far as possible. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I think of like modeling it, and bringing it to life and moving it on is one of uh, one of the most powerful ways I think of really maybe trying mm-hmm. to change, change. Like that, that's my my thinking. I mm-hmm. don't know. I don't know how you feel about it. But we haven't had that conversation yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you want, did you want me to talk about my my vision? I would love I would try? love for us to wind down with you. <laughs> yeah, if you feel I mean, comfortable. Like, I am. You know, and this is a 
uh, like a living working document of how I see this, because these kinds of positions are new. And this is a new position for our movement as is a new position for many other organizations in our society. And one of my hopes, uh, I was talking to a mentor of mine, Rabbi Mordecai Liebling the other day. And uh, one of my hopes for, and my dreams for us, um, and this may be hard for some people to hear, but I do mean it in a hopeful way, is that I want our, our Jewish communities to um, move away from, um, we welcome everyone and we're not racist. Um, and what I want to see happen is, because I do believe, first of all, I, I believe all Jewish communities want to welcome everyone. I don't believe there's any Jewish community, maybe there is, like, we don't want you here. I don't think that's the message that Jewish communities are trying to send. Um, but I want many in a Jewish community, and so we're talking about Jewish communities that are overwhelmingly white, um, to acknowledge first and foremost that racism exists, which means racism exists in our Jewish communities. So if you acknowledge that racism exists, then when it shows up, you can acknowledge that it's showing up. Because what happens right now is people push it away and they, they call it something else. Um, and they, they, are not in, they are not recognizing that racism has showed up in this moment. And if we can get to a point where we can at least acknowledge that I am asking you questions because you're black, or I'm not hiring you because I'm, I'm thinking you're unfit for this job because you're black, then we can start to do the work of how to unpack that and recognize it and then move forward so we don't make those mistakes and we can understand which, which decisions are we making racially and which ones we are not. And that's why I think um, this role is really cool because as we mentioned earlier, we are a religion of doing. And so if we create uh, policies uh, around equity um, and give the tools for for how you know how to to be anti-racist in your community, or how to, the the tools for how to hire a rabbi, or how to hire um, an executive director, then by doing that, you will learn what's racist behavior and what's not. And so um, that is one of the things that I'm really focused on. Don't know how to do it yet. <laughs> But I'm asking our communities to acknowledge, at least, that racism is in their communities because there's no way it's not. It's in our entire system. So, so that, I think that part of the richness of being mm -hmm. part of the Reconstructionist movement, even as I know there are listeners from beyond the mm -hmm. Reconstructionist movement, is we're going to figure it out together. We're going to yes. co-create yes. it because that's I'm, what we like to do. Yeah. I'm very grateful to have partners in this thinking yeah. and that I have people that will be on this journey with me and willing to walk with me on this journey and support our entire movement on this journey. I've already had a ton of colleagues reach out to me who don't work for Reconstructing Judaism. They work outside um, in congregations or somewhere else who have offered a tremendous amount of support for me. And, um, you know, if I can be a listening ear, you know, because I think people understand that this is the direction that we need to go. Right. Right. And so I'll just wind us down mm -hmm. with two, two reflections on resilience, mm -hmm. which is, I think, on the individual and communal level, like on, on, on the local level, adopting a stance of uh, like a, a, an orientation toward resilience is really helpful because mm -hmm. this is, I mean, it need not be difficult work, 
but it could be difficult work and to just not to get, not get um, disempowered or, mm-hmm. or to get, you know, to get dis- discouraged. Mm-hmm. Like that, that this is, this is work that, you know, truly to quote from Pirkei Avot, more like it's not us mm-hmm. to finish the work, but we are not free to desist. That was the call yeah. from a, a big uh, call out to, for the Jew- leaders of the Jewish community, organizations in the Jewish community to commit to racial justice work. We, we cannot look away. So mm-hmm. like, you know, resilience individually. And then I think about, I often say that I think that Judaism is about resilience writ large mm-hmm. and that this, that, and that that tendency toward resilience is one of the reasons why we have uh, as a people and as a civilization survived over millennia is because we recreate ourselves. And so this is a, you know, this is one of the moral calls of our time. We have this opportunity, we have this obligation to respond to it. Judaism and Jewish communities and Jews will look different on the far side of this. And that's good. Yeah. yeah. And that's good. Yeah. I also, if I, I, I had a Please. conversation with uh, Rabbi Susan Talvi, um, with my new uh, status these days, I've been having some, like, I feel like who do, what rabbi do you want to talk to? And like, <laughs> so um, um, I'm teaching a class, upcoming class with Rabbi Susan Talvi, who I've always just admired from afar. She's a rabbi of a synagogue in St. Louis. Uh, and we're teaching a class with musician Billy Jonas, which is kind of cool. And so I think one of us, I think he may, he may have asked like, you know, what do you want white people to understand when it comes to anti-racist work? And she sort of, we're all on Zoom and she like leans into the camera and she just sort of nods in that kind of wise way. And we're all waiting for her answer. And um, th- this is hard. Yeah. Like this is hard work. It is the day in and day out work of unlearning and unpacking it's not i read a book i'm done it's not mm-hmm. i took a class i'm done it is hard and and i could feel the how like uh tired from that work the work that she's been doing and uh you know and i'm saying i'm trying to describe it to you because even across the zoom i could feel yeah. what yeah. she was saying I think it's really true. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important. I think, and that this is where I go back to resilience, like where it's mm-hmm. really important to have practices mm-hmm. and communities that nourish and sustain us when it's hard, when mm-hmm. it's hard about this, when it, whether it's hard about personal things or the pandemic or, and, 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 and if we're going to do this work, mm-hmm. we have to set ourselves up so that we have ways to renew mm-hmm. when it's hard. Yeah. It's also there are there are celebrations and joys along the way, mm-hmm. and and it's a really important thing to take in and to take seriously. Yeah, Sandra, such a blessing, always, always to be with you. The last time I saw you, I don't know if we'll keep this in. It'll be your decision. <laughs> there, our wonderful editor and producer Sam. But the last time I saw you was unexpectedly at a conference. I had no expectation of seeing. It was early March last year, and you had. Oh, and, and We were we were at APAC together. I had no idea you would be there, and and I saw your haircut from behind, and I was like, that has got to be Sandra Lawson. So 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 happy to be with you oh in this God, Zoom space. Mm-hmm. So excited that you are coming on board in this incredibly important. Yeah. position and and to, so honored to support and 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 celebrate and advance you and i'm so grateful excited to be hosting this season of hashi yeah. with you 
Yeah, this is going to be fun. Um, I've done a lot of podcasts, mostly interviews, but hosting is going to be a new thing. So, um, you know, getting into the hosting mode, but I, I, it's going to be fun. And I'm glad I get to do with you who I have. A, you're a friend, a mentor, a teacher. You know, I have a lot of respect for you that I just and you're fun. Like- <laughs> <laughs> we laugh a lot. <laughs> So, and, and and even more so when when we're when we're with our wives, then then it's yeah. then it's really yeah. raucous. But, but we do pretty good, just you and me. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, so hopefully all of you who are listening will you know, will laugh with us and learn yeah. with us and um, and go on this journey with us. Um, I am so happy to thank my co-host Rabbi Sandra Lawson for this uh, this conversation on Judaism and resilience and on. Uh, racial justice. And I also really want to thank our editor and our producer, Sam Wax, for all of his incredible support um, in in making this uh, podcast as uh, beautiful and accessible as it is. Um, I would urge you to um, look at the show notes from this this episode. If you want to learn more about Sandra's journey and her background, we'll post links to Mm -hmm. amazing articles and to her incredible social media presence. And, um, and, and also to some of the work that we're doing on racial justice and, um, and also links to other discussions about shuva and about uh, redemption. Please, please um, subscribe and rate and review us in um, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman. Sandra, do you want to say your name? Yeah, I'm, I'm Rabbi Sandra Lawson, and this is going to be a lot of fun and exciting. It is. It is. You've been listening to Hashi <laughs> Venu, Jewish Teachings on Resilience. Hashi Venu, Hashi Venu.